0: I am Brian, compulsive overeater. I'm very grateful to be here today. Um, I feel a a true responsibility to carry the message for the gift of this program. Um, Because it is a gift, I didn't do anything to deserve the benefits of it. Uh, I'll qualify in that um, I have two years and three months of concurrent abstinence. Maintaining a 126 pound weight loss. So I'm a hundred pounder, and being a hundred pounder, I, I think uh, for me, I I it's really a story of desperation. Um, I'm only five four, and I weigh 300 pounds, and um, living at 300 pounds was miserable. Uh, I think the word pain is a good description. And it took me a long time to get up to that weight. Uh, It didn't happen overnight. I think I was always a compulsive overeater. Oh, thank you so much. I was born a compulsive overeater. Um, I always had a fixation with food, even as a child. I liked food so much I started cooking my own food every day. Um, And I was always looking for some new way to extract pleasure from the food. Like, it was never enough what I had I had to find something else and I also suffered from um, terminal uniqueness I always wanted I I never felt part of anything so for me uh, I grew up in an orthodox Jewish home and I lived in a community that I never felt part of I um, I couldn't relate to people and in general always felt like for some reason, everything the adults thought was total bullshit. And I had, I had something that they didn't have. And I think what I had was a, a disease called compulsive overeating that always made me think I was different from everyone else. The truth is, when I came to these rooms, I learned that I'm not different because I'm just like all of you. And that's, a, that's also part of the gift, that I, I don't have to be a by myself. I don't have to be alone that I can be with others and feel part of. And feeling part of, I never felt part of in my life until I came here, until I came to OA. I live in the San Fernando Valley. I actually live in Moore Park right outside of it. But I go to meetings in, in the valley. Um, and there's a really strong program over there. I don't get over this, to this side of the hill very often. But uh, I feel like uh, there's a men's group that I'm part of. And that men's group uh, practices something called sober eating. And we've put on workshops at the OA birthday. Um, If I had to boil down sober eating, uh, it's essentially not making unilateral food decisions on my own. So if I have a question about whether I should eat something or whether I shouldn't, I call my sponsor or I call one of my trusted advisors because I have a group of men who all have long-term abstinence, 20 years, 10 years, I call them and I say, hey, what do you think about this? Do you think I should eat it? And I get that feedback. So I'm not calling the shots anymore because my whole life I called the shots. I called the shots and I ended up at 300 pounds. And the weight is really just the symptom of the disease. The true underlying nature of, I think of my disease was a focus on self of selfishness and self seeking I didn't think about other people. I didn't care about other people. If I didn't lovingly control you, like the 12 and 12 talks about, I hated you. So I didn't want to know you. If I, if, I didn't, if I didn't already know you, if I didn't in some way control you, I hated you. And I just wanted nothing to do with you. And that that's not normal to hate people. Um, I think... I, I, I don't... I think the other word is... Uh, is anxiety and fear. I lived in fear. Uh, by the time I came back to program five years ago, uh, I was waking up at 3 o'clock in the morning uh, every night thinking that the world was coming to an end. And, and in many ways, my world was ending. My first wife, she was dying. And um, I, I really had a hard time um, as she kept moving towards death. Uh, when she finally died, that's when I broke my first abstinence. I said, well, now I have an excuse. She broke, she died, so now I can go out. And that was, that was um, about three years ago. And uh, since then, I about two years and three months ago, I recommitted my abstinence. And I said, um, I'm not going to call the shots anymore. I'm going to completely surrender and let... Let the program take me where it takes me. Because um, I kind of got stuck at that point. And what really saved me and saved my life, I think, um, aside from the physical recovery, was the mental recovery. Uh, I don't live in anxiety anymore. I don't live in fear. I, I have fear. It's there. But it's not... It's not banging on, on, on the ceiling like it used to. I couldn't get away from the fear and the anxiety. So for me, the pain, the physical pain, uh, and, the, and, the, and the mental psychological pain were intense. So I had a lot of, um, a lot of motivation to work this program. For me, it, I don't have a choice. I know that if I don't keep working the program, if I don't work the steps, if I don't um, work with sponsees and make outreach calls and do writing and use the tools, I'm gonna be in a dark place. And it's it's my turning to God and turning um, to a source of power that's really been giving me another life. Uh, When Bill talks about being catapulted into the fourth dimension, I start, I'm starting to see what, the, what that means on some level. I can't say I live in the fourth dimension, but I can see that there is a fourth dimension. And as, as I got older, when I got to be about 23, 24, uh, started living with my first girlfriend, and that's really when I started packing the pounds on. I think I went from like 190 to 250. And that was the beginning of my weight, just... Expanding and growing. And the sort of uh, the cha- one of the challenges that I have is I have something called psoriatic arthritis which is a really debilitating disease. Um, so I have a really good excuse for being fat and, and disabled. I, I have a disease. I, I, I can eat whatever I want because I feel terrible all the time. And somehow all that type of thinking just got me deeper and deeper into the food uh, I also have a bad thyroid so I take thyroid medication every day so that was something else so I, I could find excuses to justify living in the food and um, I didn't eat, I also thought that I was perfect um, when I first came back to program five years ago my sponsor said so tell me some of your defects of character I said I don't have any <laughs> and I believed that at the time I believed that at the time since doing a forced death I, I understand that the idea that I had of myself seeking I, was, I, was, I am a dishonest um, I wouldn't tell the truth if I thought I was in trouble I would lie to get out of it constantly and so um, I had a lot of uh, I had a lot of um, very good sort of uh, realizations when I did my four step that the idea I have of myself is just not real but that I could walk around so altered, so um, deluded, uh, was amazing to me. And I do believe that the, the answer for me is I have to work a seriously spiritual program. Um, the big book talks about how the spiritual program is the solution, the 12 steps. And... Um, Currently I'm working step nine and I find it very strange to uh, admit my wrongs to people. It, it, it doesn't go well with my egotistical nature <laughs> and, and, and my old idea of being perfect. And so um, the tools and the 12 steps they started to really have an effect on me when I started writing every day and doing a ten step. And I was talking to my therapist at the time, and I said, "You know, this doing a ten step every night is changing me." She goes, "Yeah, how do you feel?" I said, "I feel like good about something, but I can't put my finger on it." She said, "Yeah, that's that's probably called self esteem." <laughs> and I said, "Hmm, maybe." And and basically, I did. You know, I, looking looking at at the progression of my program um, I, I see that, I see how how far I've come and yet how far I have to go uh, you know every day when I wake up in the morning I read On Awakening and uh, page 86 to page 88 and because it sort of lays out for me what my game plan is for the day and what I what should I do when I'm in doubt or things aren't going well for me like at work If I feel like I'm being pressured or I'm under stress, I sort of shut down. And it's a great it's a great hope for me that I now have a path where I can turn to my higher power and I can ask my higher power for direction. And then the words are very clear. It says, and relax. It doesn't say use your ego to assert your will and everyone around you which is my old way of working I still do it sometimes but in all honesty but mostly that assertion of ego is fear it's, it's all fear because I think that I'm not going to get what I want or what I need and so I really need to turn to my higher power and my, you know I'm currently remarried um, to a high school sweetheart. We reconnected, of uh, all places on LinkedIn. <laughs> and, and I have three stepdaughters now. So I went from being... I never had kids with my first wife who passed away. And now I have three stepdaughters and my oldest stepdaughter is a compulsive overeater just like me. And she she got interested. She saw that I had lost a lot of weight. And she said, well, you know, what are you doing? And I didn't really want to go into it in too much detail. And I explained to her, you know, what I thought was appropriate. And she said, can I go to a meeting with you? And I said, sure, you can go to a meeting with me. And she came. And afterwards, I said, so what did you think? She goes, there's way too much Jesus in this room. And I said, hmm, that's interesting. And I just kind of just let it go. But... I said to myself, nobody said Jesus. <laughs> and, and then I realized, you know, the, the confusion that exists around religion and spirituality and how she thought she's very anti-religious. She thinks it's something for old people. But, but what's interesting to me is that I, my higher power, my God, is a personal God. It doesn't have anything to do with religion. It doesn't have anything to do with anybody else's God. Everybody gets to have their own expression, their own relationship to a higher power. And to me, that doesn't have anything to do with religion. So I, found, I find it still confusing why she had that reaction. Um, but what I've come to learn is And I was an atheist in my 20s, probably an agnostic in my 30s. It's because of this program that I can say I do have a personal God today. And that personal God is the source of my power. That's where I turn for help. I I, I don't think I would have the life that I have today without it. Um, I have to work this program every day. I, I don't have a choice. Uh, if I turn away from the program, it just means going back to the anxiety and the fear and living in that swamp of a mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't want to live there anymore. I don't want to live in the fear. I don't want to live in, in the darkness. Um, and my life today is like, it's totally different. It's challenging sometimes, but it's totally different. And then I have a group of people who I'm dedicated to. Every Sunday morning after the uh, 7.30 WITSIT meeting in uh, Studio City, we go to breakfast and we have a sponsor-style meeting where we get together and we talk about what our struggles are, who's struggling and what's going on. And um, there's at least 10 guys who have long-term abstinence there, and and everyone is for 100-pounders. So it's people who really understand the desperation of having to lose 100 pounds or more. There are some guys there who lost two, three hundred pounds. I mean, just just heavyweight lose, you know, heavyweight losers in a good way. And, and basically, um, I I came to program in 2003 for two years, and I worked the Brian program, not the AA, not the OA program, the Brian program. And what the Brian program consisted of is I'm going to take all the things that work for me and I'm going to leave all the things that don't work for me. And I I actually lost like 50 pounds and I did pretty well for a while. I mean, I I didn't, I I actually looked for a sponsor and I picked one of the fatter sponsors I could find. Because I thought, you know, he looks kind of like me, maybe that'll, you know, he'll have the same disposition as me. And that didn't work too well. Um, I didn't really get any, any, any direction, or maybe I wasn't ready to get direction at that point. I obviously wasn't. And what happened was, I worked the program, I I, well, I kind of worked the program for two years, and after two years I said, eh, I don't want to do this anymore. And I kind of stopped for 13 years. It took me another 13 years to come back. I always believed in the program, I always believed in the ideas. But I just wasn't ready, I guess. And today I have four sponsees. And one of, the, one of the problems that I have is when my sponsees break their abstinence. It's troubling to me. And this is my problem. It's not their problem. Um, it's my problem that I want them to succeed in the program. And uh, it, it's all about me, again. <laughs> so... That, and, and that's always where I go back to. And that's why I need to have a higher power. That's why I have to be of service. That's why service is so unnatural for me. It's probably the least natural thing. Um, when uh, being of service, uh, when my wife asks me to do something, like take out the garbage, I tell her thanks for the opportunity. Because I need to do service. I, it, it's such a, a different experience. I don't have that chipset. That chip, my phone, when it was released, didn't come with the service chip. So being so of service is one of, is one of the challenges that I really have to find myself um, doing. And slowly, by working with sponsees, I find myself changing, becoming oriented on other people, on thinking about other people, not just thinking about myself all the time, and carrying the message to as many people as I can. I don't like to say no when somebody asks me to sponsor them because I feel like I need to keep carrying the message to recover. And they're very grateful and they thank me and I'm like, you don't have to thank me. I, I'm happy to do it because I, I need it. So, I think, I think one of the, the characteristics um, that I have as a compulsive overeater is also being very controlling. And, um, Wanting to change everything into what I think it should be. And that's something that uh, sort of, I think, is a, a beacon uh, if when I was, how much time was that? Five minutes. When I, when I came to program, um, I wanted to change the meeting. I wanted, I think we should share for this long, maybe the business meeting should only happen once every six months. And I had all these ideas, but that's exactly what the big book talks about in terms of being the director of the play, right? We, I think that I have all the answers for everyone. And the truth is I had no answers. I had no answers because I was living isolated, feeling uniquely different than everyone else, hating everybody, and eating myself into oblivion. I mean, at 300 pounds, I could feel my heartbeat all the time. I I, I felt it. I mean, I knew that my heart would not be able to continue that way. My knees were swelling up, and I had Baker cysts in the back of my knees because they couldn't handle the weight. So my body was falling apart, literally. And with the chronic illness on top, it was miserable. Miserable. Um, And so today, um, one one of the most important things that I've learned in this program is to keep my mouth shut and not interject my opinion, not give my opinion. It doesn't matter what I think. Um, it really doesn't. It's the group. It's 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 the traditions that really matter, and the traditions have helped me because I couldn't. I thought committees and meetings were a waste of time. In business, I, I didn't understand the point of a meeting, and today, thanks thanks to the traditions, I can actually go and interact with other people and not just <coughs> force my opinion down their throat and be, be a bull, um, a bully, and and I think that's. To me, it's opened my world up. Um, It's opened my world up completely. Uh, And the promises have started to come true in my life. Um, Sometimes I have fear of economic insecurity, but most of the time I don't. Um, I would say that uh, knowing how to handle situations which used to baffle me, that to me the answer is via service. Uh, I used to go to a funeral. I didn't know what to do. Be of service. I used to go to a party. I didn't know what to do. Be of service. Being of service pretty much will solve almost any problem that that I run into. Um, and I feel like I'm, my world just keeps opening up. And I'm getting to experience... Um, The world in a completely new way not because of fear not because of you know needing to control but learning to let go and let God call the shots I don't have to call the shots it doesn't matter my day doesn't have to play out the way I want it to play out it can play out the way God wants it to play out and I'm not going to you know it's like I explained to one of my sponsors the third step is not like something okay I made a decision and that's it like I'm, that decision will hold true forever and ever. Every day I have to make a decision to turn my life and my will over to the care of my higher power. But it's the care of my higher power. It's I'm not just randomly, you know, throwing it into a into a canyon and saying, okay, whatever you want, just you know, destroy me. I'm 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 giving my life to the care of my higher power, and he's and I believe he's going to care for me. I believe that the result will be better for me. Um, I was reading it the promises aren't material it doesn't say you're going to be rich and drive a Maserati it says that you're going to have these spiritual attributes you're going to not have fear of economic insecurity you're, you're going to know how to handle situations I mean the truth is the materialism is not the point if anything I need to be less material there needs to be less of me not more of me and and that's, that's to me, the beauty—the beauty—is I get to become a different person. I get to become the person that I thought I was, um, not not the person that um, I dishonestly believed I, or deludedly believed I was. Because I wasn't—I really, truly believed these crazy things. It wasn't—it wasn't—I uh, it, it, I wasn't trying to lie to myself. I don't know why my mind. Was able to conjure these lies, but it did. It conjured these lies to keep me, I guess, seeing the world in some kind of congruous uh, landscape. Um, and today, through the twelve steps, uh, there's it's a whole it's a whole new experience. Thank you. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that opinions I shared with you today are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. Yes. So first, I, I had to even, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, how did I develop my, the idea of my higher power? Um, I think at first, I, I didn't really believe that there was a higher power when I first came to the rooms. I believe there was a possibility of a higher power. And for me, it was experiential. I said to myself, well, um, if, if there's a higher power, I'm going to see, I'm going to turn over, turn, I'm going to ask for help and I'm going to see if I get that help. And I did ask for help and I got the help. So all of a sudden um, the higher power was was coming through for me. Um, it didn't require any particular belief. It didn't require, uh, it didn't require me to... Um, it, I guess it was just trying it, trying it out. Um, Today, over time, uh, I, I think I do have a strong belief uh, my higher power, uh, I believe, loves me like a father. Uh, so he doesn't demand perfection. If, if, if I'm... Uh, we talk about progress, not perfection. We're not saints, it says in the big book. Um, my perfectionism always wants me to be perfect. It always wants me to uh, be perfect to try to achieve the impossible. And I think that's, I, I turn to my higher power for permission not to be perfect. Yeah. Thank you, Chris. Uh, so you spoke about giving, giving service and that being the answer to most of the problems. Is there any time that, that you're instructed when you need to be a service because you know it's gonna help, so you really don't want to. So and, um, yeah, it's more powerful than your knowledge than you should be. Does, does that ever so, uh, am I ever confronted with uh, with times where I should be of service and I don't, and I'm not of service? Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, um, especially, yeah. My wife asked me uh, to to vacuum the the house last Sunday, and I didn't do it. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's the truth. Uh, I would say I would say uh, I, that nine out of ten times I am of service but there there's, if I'm angry at her resentful I won't um, I try not to be resentful it's hard sometimes uh, I know I can't afford it but uh, yeah sure there are times that I, 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 I am not of service and I should be um, and I, I guess it also depends what it is, vacuuming, yeah, um, when a sponsee calls, I try to pick up the phone almost every time. Uh, so it, it really depends, but yeah, there are times I lose, and I don't, I'm not a service. Thank you so much for your share, so what tools do you use on those days that life is triggering? So I, I would say that uh, what are the tools that I use on the days that are challenging? Um, I would say writing. Uh, I do a ten step every night. Uh, I I find that by if I don't write my day down, I lose it. Like it just goes away. And I would say. Uh, 365 days a year i probably do my writing at least let's say 350 days of the 365 uh, if I fall asleep on the couch probably I'm not going to do it that night um, but by, by writing and, and writing about my resentments and answering the questions you know what were my fears today what were my resentments it really helps kind of of put the day in perspective for tomorrow what are the challenges that i'm facing uh i think reading the big book especially i talk about page 86 page 88 on how to handle problems so i my first go-to is i go straight to god that's my first go-to but then i pick up the phone and i'll call people i'll probably talk to three to four people a day every day um it's it's just helps me get out of my head. I'll call them. I'll ask them how they're doing, and I'll just shut up and listen to them. So I got to get out of my head um, because I need comfort. I need comfort. I, I, I I'm sense I'm oversensitive. I I'm you know uh, I think it's part of my disease, and I need that comfort. I get that comfort from phone calls. I get that comfort from meetings. I get that comfort from. Uh, being of service, even if I don't want to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks. Um, <coughs> you talk about sponsoring, particularly in light of, you, you were saying how you try not to give advice. Yeah. Or how do you that? So, uh, I think Clancy, no, no, Truxty, in, in uh, his book, A New Pair of Glasses, talks <coughs> about, giving advice he says when you tell somebody something when you tell them you build a wall between you and them he talks about sharing experience talk about your experience don't don't tell people stuff and that's really what I try to do I share my experience this is my experience you do what what you want to do I, I'm not here to control them I'm not here to tell them what to do I'm here to share my experience they take it great if they don't take it they don't take it yes thank you Brian you talk about being in sober eating yes how does that relate to your uh, work with your sponsors Do you they have to have that same food fed experience or how do you sponsor that's a good that's a good question so how how uh, how do I relate sober eating to my sponsors so First off, I would say some of my sponsors are not even ready for sober eating. Um, there, I sponsor mostly 100 pounder guys who the food plan is very minimal. Uh, it's three plates of food a day with nothing in between or, or a snack or two depending on what they need. And then, um, and no recreational sugar. Outside of that, sure, I, I'll just wrap it up with this question. Outside of that, I can't ask for more. They're not ready to, to sit down and do a sober eating. I try after a few months, if I see that they're actually maintaining that food plan, then I'll sit down and do the sober eating workshop with them, uh, if, if they're ready. But a lot of guys are just struggling. They, they, they can't even maintain that. And I try to focus more on the spiritual aspects and, and, and getting them to start thinking about other people and being of service than focused on the food so much. That's it. All right. Thank you.